Hey, hey, welcome to RD NFT. That's research and data on NFTs. This is a weekly podcast focused on the latest research, news, and data on NFT marketplaces, technology, uh, the macro economy, you name it. If it affects NFTs, we're going to talk about it. I am Rob the Economist. You can find me at Rob the Economist on Twitter. And I'm joined by my two faithful co hosts. My name is Lucas. I'm the senior manager of analytics at RD. You can find me at the underscore NFT underscore analyst on Twitter. And I'm excited to chat all things data, research, and Web3. Hi, I'm Shazam Bomb on Twitter. I'm a senior backend developer slash Solidity developer for Artie. Let's dive in. Dude, I've been messing with ChatGPT more and more. It's pretty scary, honestly. Like, I had it write a story the other day. Um, that was like, I read it. It was actually a great story. I've like, I've had it do a lot of, I made it write a Python script yesterday and it wrote a very good functioning Python script and told you how to use it. Um, it's wild, dude. Like you can use it to program apparently. Yeah. I mean, that was the thing that, that really caught my attention was when I saw that example of somebody being like, where find the bug in this. And it yeah. not only found the bug, but came back and said, here's how you fix it. And it's it, it, the bug was a, a syntax thing, which is like, okay, I guess you could find that. But the suggestion of like, here's how you fix it in this context using your variables yeah, is like, Jesus Christ. The syntax thing is like, it seems super simple, but yet I pay for a lot of software that still fucks it up. You know what I mean? It's I, yeah, like totally. the fact that Chad GPT found <laughs> it is like, whoa. Um, also, like when I had it write that Python script, it didn't only write a functioning script, it included really good documentation in the script and also told you exactly how you would execute it on your local machine. Damn. This is all right. So let's, let's dive in because this is what I want to talk about. So first let's talk about GPT four. So, yeah, I, I mean, Lucas, I, I think like all of us have been playing around with it. I was doing something similar. You were saying you were, you were asked it to write a story. I did something similar where I was basically I was showing my wife <laughs> and I was like, write a story about this person. She was like, that's pretty, pretty impressive. But the thing that then caught my attention today, which I, I'd seen this a bit, like obviously there's an update coming, but so th this is what caught my attention. Somebody showed a graph of the amount of data on which uh, GPT-3, the one that's live now is trained on versus the amount of data that, that GPT-4 is going to be trained on. Um, and so there's basically the, amount of data that it's being trained on is tenfold what it, what GPT-3 was trained on, which was already hundreds of billions of data points, right? So we're getting to the, the tens of trillions at this point, or almost 10 trillion. Um, and so the, the article that I share with you, which I'll share the links um, and everything, was talking not about only about that, but that there's this research paper that did a comparison of a bunch of these um, AI machines out there and showed that the thing that matters is adding more data. And this amount of data, no, nothing's ever been trained on. And also it's already doing really well with the parameters it has. So it's gonna have the, essentially the same parameters, much more massive data. And basically there's research that shows that that's how you like exponentially increase the the efficacy of the output. So I'm gonna pause there. And now that we've, we've I think all been pretty impressed with GPT-3, GPT four. Okay, what what are your initial reactions? How how close are we getting to uh, uh, cybernet taking over the world? Like what what's what's coming next? What are you worried about? What are you excited about? 
Mm, I'm excited just because that that data improvement, like every model that exists, every AI is predicated on trained data and yep. their training methodologies seem to work pretty well from what I've seen on GPT-3. You layer in tenfold the data, you probably are going to get significantly better responses that are more diverse and more um, more like well-informed. Um, so I think that's crazy. How close are we to AI taking over? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I would have said pretty far the other day, but when I asked it to write a Python script that worked, it's like, so it could program. Um, that's me just being like hyperbole, like kind of joking, but also like, ah, it can. <laughs> and I'll, I'll real quick before you jump in, Ian, this is something to harken back to something you mentioned before, Ian, which is the one of the things that this article points out is that the the most impressive or like like the highest potential part of this improvement is that the machine can train itself to build, rebuild itself basically, and decide how to like fix itself. And so that's one of the things it does already. And so they're saying what we think can happen is with GPT-4, it might actually be able to then create like GPT-5, GPT-6, and it will get faster at getting faster. So the difference in time from GPT-3 to 4 to 5 will reduce and every time it'll get exponentially better because the machine itself will be teaching itself how to get better. Um, I don't know how realistic that is given that there, it does have to be human involved at some point, <laughs> but um, or at least as far as it's set up now, I would, I would assume there would be some human involvement. So, all right, I'll, I'll leave that note and then Ian get your kind of reaction. Uh, no, actually, I think, I think that direction of letting it train itself and basically make decisions on how to interpret the data is probably the right way to go actually um there's a great example with um with deepmind google's deepmind team uh and their alpha star and alpha zero um the their chess bot uh, in particular uh, alpha zero um it they they trained it initially on human games at first over and over and over and over and over again. And then they started letting it play itself. But they found that if they just let it play itself and don't give it any human reference at all, no information from humans, no training from humans whatsoever, it actually learns and performs better than if than it does with human involvement. So it was actually able to learn the fundamentals of the game first without humans like confounding it with their own biases. So I think allowing AI to actually like kind of learn in its own way, because it doesn't learn like humans learn, right? I think is probably going to make AI better, faster, and more precise. Because um, the thing is, is, is the human preconceived notion of how we learn things doesn't exactly apply to AI, uh, or at least not in the way that we think it does. So that was actually one of the big revelations out of Google DeepMind, which I think is very fascinating. Uh, in terms of like whether or not AI is going to take over, like, I mean, I don't think Skynet's going to happen, to be honest. Um, I, said, but I said Cybernet. That might be my most <laughs> embarrassing slip up, but I'll just call myself on it. Cybernet uh, is the, is I, I the we, rebranded Skynet. That's what it is. I'm, just, know, it's, I'm trademarking it now. <laughs> it's the off you brand. Need to start the that off company. Brand. Yeah. That'll be the great value of Skynet. It's, it's like the, look, it's, it's, not it's the public's brand of yeah, exactly. Skynet. <laughs> Skynet. Um right. so I, I I think that um 
I don't think Skynet's going to happen. To be honest, the thing is, is with these AI models is they require prompts in order to exactly. do anything. Um, and it's not like they're going to be dictating like things in our lives in the near future. At least I think humans are pretty hesitant towards allowing computers to make decisions um, just like on their own. Unless it's like very proven and reliable and like the model is easy to understand yeah. and predictable and it's like, oh, okay, we can allow a robot to do this. Um, so I, it's not like it's going to take over the world, but I think it will augment human activity in that it will basically make it like, I mean, the thing is, is like in high school, y'all remember your teacher's saying in math class, you're never going to have a calculator in your pocket, right? <laughs> I have a calculator in my pocket right now. So Dude. the thing is, is like, it's just another step in that technological advancement. It's just another tool in our toolbox that we'll be able to use in the future. That's my take on it. I agree with that. I was kind of joking. I do think there's an extreme where it gets to be weird, honestly, like at some point, like a great example is like if it can in if it can see all the code written, eventually it could probably write better code. And then once it could write better code, technically it could write something that could create prompts that could interact with itself. So like I think that's where things get really weird. I'm sure that's like a lot of that's probably being thought of and cut off. And I don't think we're even close to that. One of the things I do think is super interesting, though, is like that this is the natural evolution of ML in general, right? Like the yeah. best models are considered like self-healing or evolutionary. And the idea is that there's some mechanism for constant data retrieval. It forms its structures. It generates its responses. It takes the feedback loop off of those and reassume and builds new like relationships between things. And so like, this is really just like what it was supposed, what ML is supposed to become inherently anyways. It's just doing it at like a scale none of us have ever seen publicly. I I, I wonder if it's happened somewhere else because I would kind of bet it has, but I think this is the first time that like everybody can just throw text at it and see what it does. Yeah, that's the thing I think is really getting people is it feels very sudden. It's like overnight this happened where clearly, I mean, OpenAI has been around for a while. Like this has been built and versions of this are built. And then even in that that article I shared, they mentioned a, a few other examples of kind of similar machines that are doing, they, they have slightly different end goals, but have a similar kind of, of structure to them. All right, cool. Yeah, that, that one, I was hoping somebody would be really doom and gloom and think the world was ending. I think <laughs> I the think only the reason why... I think the only reason why the public perception of this is so um, so out there is that there's been AIs before that are like just as impressive as ChatGPT. It's just this is particularly a language model and humans mm. view language as a very human thing. And yeah. that's why we're able to attribute like, holy shit, this is revolutionary. When in actuality, there's other AIs just like this that are responsible for DLSS upscaling that makes your right. video games run faster. Like, it's just that people don't understand that, right? People can wrap their heads around a language model because you can talk to it, right? It's very human. That's I think that's the key difference here. People, people just didn't realize at what stage we are in AI. And now the, the fact that it's a language model, that's what's revealing it for everyone.
take that one step further. And I think we sandbagged language models in general because we were like, look, Alexa and Google can talk to you. And you'd say, call mom. And it was like calling 911. And so like that was frustrating. <laughs> now that it's like language based, it's like responsive in a way that's like relational and like clearly it under, it seems like it's understanding when in actuality, it's just like running numbers and making recommendations. Um, I think it feels so much more human because everybody got so used to like really bad versions of language models existing. <laughs> and the fact of the matter is, is that we've gotten as a species so much better at tokenizing languages. And what mm. I mean by that is um, there's, been an entire field of study since the 50s on tokenizing languages because of the advent of software, right? You know, we, we've we needed to build compilers to be able to basically turn human language into computer code. So over the several decades of research that has gone into analyzing language has helped these language models yeah. along the way. Yeah, yeah, totally. That and I think the Alexa uh, or like Google Home comparison—that's a—that's a good point too. That you you get this promise or at least this this potential because even when you first started using Alexa, it's like, oh, this will get better. Like this this is cool. This will get better, and it just really didn't, or it got marginally better, but was doing the same tasks and functions. Um, so yeah, I think that's a good point. My my favorite uh, bad Alexa. Uh, moment is my wife once said to Alexa, Alexa, say something nice to my husband. And she gave me the nicest compliment ever. And I said, Alexa, say something nice to my wife. And she said, I don't understand that prompt. And that we tried it once <laughs> a week for at least a year and they never fixed it. I posted it online. I even sent it into to Amazon to say, hey, just so you know, never fixed it. So, <laughs> so my wife was convinced that uh, Alexa had a crush on me. That's why she wouldn't she wouldn't say anything nice. That's hilarious. All right. That's why I feel like the world's taking over. I'm just scared of Alexa coming for me. Um, all right. So let's switch gears a bit. Um, we'll do a quick, as quick as we can, talk about FTX and kind of what's going on there. So the, there's, um, I guess, two big things that we could talk about today. One is that FTX, as of today, January 12th, has recovered over $5 billion in assets. And that's not including another about $500 million that the Bahamian central bank, I think is holding. Um, so it's like 5.5 billion. Um, and this is up from in initially, they said they, they couldn't, they could find about a billion in December. And this is kind of what, where they started spiraling is they could only find a billion dollars, um, out of what they actually owed. And so this is really interesting because now we're not sure exactly how much they owe to clients and everything, but some of the first estimates I saw were like $6 billion and I've seen up to 10, not that this is all of it, but it's certainly like that's a significant chunk. So um, to me, this is a, a, an interesting like turn of events that there's a lot more capital available. And hopefully this money makes it back to some of the, the customers and clients. It doesn't end up in all like institutional investors and wealthy investors and stuff like that. Like some of the people who really got hurt by this. Hopefully some of this will get back. So um, what do you guys think? I mean, this this feels like they found billions of dollars it makes me wonder like how many more billions are we going to find here i think i think this is a super interesting problem because it's like my first instinct is like whoa either like they were so incompetent that they were missing the majority of money or there was definitely intentional sheltering of that money which is what i lean towards and then two 
it kind of makes an argument that like maybe things, you know, there's clearly terrible bad actors that were taking advantage, but it's like not inherently a Bitcoin problem. It's just a bad person problem or like a finance problem. You know, it's like if they're, if they've come up with five, who's to say there's not another three somewhere. And at some point, maybe they were liquid enough to support it, but just didn't want to give up their like nest eggs they'd parked away. And so like the, the reaction to FTX is insolvent really was, should have been more of a reaction to FTX is fraudulent. And it's like, you know what I mean? Like, I think those are different conversations. A lot of people used FTX to like indicate that this couldn't be sustainable or was like a bad example. When in actuality, uh, FTX looks more like a Bernie Madoff situation than it does like a bad ecosystem or economy system, in my opinion. So um, hopefully they find five more and just start giving it to people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I, I wonder if those five billion are liquid or not. Are they like, you know, properties yes. or it's liquid? This is liquid. So it's liquid cryptos okay. and investment securities. So this is not their illiquid assets. So it does not ascribe any value to holdings of dozens of illiquid cryptocurrency tokens. Um, and so they, what they're going to ask for is face value on those, those more illiquid coins. Um, and then it's just a matter of like what the market will actually be able to support. So that's another thing is like, they don't know what the rest of it's worth, but to your point, Lucas too, like at some point they were using, you know, mark to market to, to account for this stuff, which is, I guess, how people had been doing it, um, even if that might not have been the best practice. But yeah, so I, I think, Ian, that this is only the liquid cryptos. So this would be Bitcoin and ETH and all, all those things. I think it's only wonder... considering like blue chips that can be quickly uh... moved. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if um, through the bankruptcy filing, if they're like, well, there we're all this stuff is owed to people and it's owed in crypto but we're just going to transform it into like transfer it into fiat and then pay out to all of the uh holders That's a good question. of FTX because if they do that could mean a huge selling of in the crypto markets which would be insane that would tank some of the crypto that was my next like 5 point. 5 billion dollars just of selling pressure that's insane um well, it, it makes you wonder like because even if they don't do that if you're one of the people who gets this bitcoin back like you certainly want to pull it off exchanges because you're gonna yes. you know either you know you're gonna self-custody or something i would imagine that's okay right that's not going to affect the market and if anything that actually helps right <laughs> you're just parking this money that people thought was gone but yeah you're right if if it does turn into a fire sale even even if it's not all five billion if people turn around and say well I don't want to hold anymore. It's time to get rid of this. It could have major implications for the market um, as well. So this is where speculation is bad because it, I think in Bitcoin, this could go either way. Like if totally. everybody that's there is like, oh, I got my Bitcoin back. I'm bullish on it. I'm holding. I think Bitcoin pops off and looks good. If, But what I'm worried about is the government does not strike me as a group of people that can quickly and efficiently allocate Bitcoin to wallets that are verified. And my gut says their first reaction will be to create a liquidation event that will make it inherently worth significantly less than 5 billion. But like I recently watched the Bernie Madoff docuseries on Netflix and they did stupid stuff like that over and over and over to where like <laughs> everybody ends up with no money but lawyers. And so like I'm not optimistic, but I hope they give people that option of do you want this in fiat or do you want this returned to your own wallet? <laughs> Is the ideal scenario to just put all the crypto in an FTX sort of like 
holding wallet and then just open withdrawals again. Is yeah, that's probably the ideal scenario, right? I, would, I was going to ask too, like who who gets to decide the mechanism? Because technically, FTX is bankrupt, but it's still a company, right? So they have a CEO, they have a board, right? The government has con- some influence because of the bankruptcy, but who? Ult- I mean, I guess it's the government ultimately gets to decide when you're in bankruptcy proceedings, right? Yeah, I mean, it's the courts, not necessarily. The oh, to, to right? the government, yeah, courts, which. It's a branch of the government, but yeah, it, it, but it's it's also one of those things where hopefully the courts in this case would look at it as like this is an extremely unique scenario. We don't understand how the markets work. Like let's let some experts of some kind decide. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. somebody who knows how this is going to affect things. Because if the if the issue here too is especially like let's get back people their their money, make them as whole as we can. If that's your intention, then you should do that in a way that's not going to crash the market and then make them less whole, right? <laughs> like if, yeah, yeah, that's the interesting thing, right? Yeah. Is like, if you're trying to make them whole, if you create this sell-off event, you're probably going to get out of that Bitcoin and those assets for like significantly less than their current value. And so yeah. like, it's interesting because like, what do you do? And I think you're right, Ian. The best way to do it is if they could build like a proxy wallet that just opened up the mechanisms that already existed and kind of let people decide for themselves. Do I take it out? Do I move it to a new wallet? Or do I go ahead and transfer it to fiat? Let's hope they call Ian for some uh, recommendations on on how to move things from wallet to wallet. If they do, I'll send you my wallet hash and you can just put a little there if you want. It's something for safekeeping, of course. Because if anything leaks out, some wallets got to catch it, right? <laughs> there you go. It's all on the blockchain, so it's auditable. So, <laughs> well, that's there fine because, well, I was gonna say I'm all live in the Bahamas, but that didn't work out well for the last guy that no. tried. <laughs> <laughs> New Shell Island needed. Um, and then there was so what's also interesting in this context, and it's like the context is important here. So earlier today, so after this five billion dollars was found, you get SPF wrote a, a blog, uh, basically with a new excuse or explanation of what happened it's it's not totally new but it's more conspiratorial now so his his thing now is he's saying that binance's ceo cz intentionally crashed the market in order to make alameda research illiquid and then it showed up and basically said hey we'll fit and like orchestrated this entire thing to happen and so what he's saying is basically like we didn't there's no fraud we didn't steal anything we just like basically mis misunderstood what our assets were worth and like the mechanisms of the market so again playing dumb like i just didn't know any better um it's it's interesting too because it is one of those things where it's like there's so much that happened through alameda and and basically spf is going no 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 it was all over there it wasn't here and then saying well and then you could see this series of events I don't buy any of it, but but it is an interesting thing because we've been talking a bit about like how he's representing himself publicly. And I think this is just more of him going, I didn't know better, just playing like naive rather than evil or negligent, right? Yeah, I mean, I think there's probably some truth to the Binance thing. Like, to be honest, from day one, I thought like, wow, what a move by Binance. The thing is, totally. is if it wasn't fraud and it wasn't weird, this wouldn't have this still wouldn't have happened. Binance could have said, Hey, the numbers don't look good. And FTX would have came out and said, like, no, we're fully liquid. Here's where all the assets are. Oh, and totally. This would have just fizzled out. The fact that he was like, Oh, yeah, it's not there makes me think that like it was pretty clearly on him. But yeah, he's I think he'll change his story as much as possible to skirt as much uh like you know, obvious uh responsibility it's probably yeah. yeah exactly he'll he'll say whatever makes sense as new information comes out 
Yeah, I agree. I think I think um, CZ and Binance really did probably make a move because you know he's playing the JP Morgan game where he buy like he crushes his competitors um, right now and he's trying to become the modern JP Morgan. But at the same time, yeah, FTX wouldn't have crumbled if it wasn't a fraud and it was definitely exactly. a fraud. <laughs> so totally. I mean. It's it's one of those things where this happens all the time where something very like a legitimate business approach, like let's say this whole thing is perfectly orchestrated by CZ and, and Binance. And I I what I think it is 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 that, but it's more of like the market was already falling. There's all these things happening at the same time. It's very easy to lean into those things when they benefit you, right? So it's easy for Binance to go, why don't we look at the books over <laughs> FTX, right? Or whatever it is. So I think that's that's definitely the case. Like it's it's one of those things where I think it's both a combination of like the circumstances happen to be working out and then they leaned into it. And it's one of those things where when somebody does something that's like you're supposed to try to actually crush your competition, that's kind of part of the whole deal. If you're trying to maximize profit at some point, the thing standing away for profit is profit is other companies, right? You can't just get better or more efficient. You got to take out the competition, absorb their customers. And so what happens a lot in in like different cases where it's like there's like some sort of like accusation of, of illicit behavior by a company or something like that that then leads to another company failing it's like normal day-to-day -day business leads to a company failing can look very evil or mean-spirited right you lower your price because you know the other company cannot compete with you there you just keep it low until they fail and then you raise it back up now that you have market power like that's you're kind of supposed to do that that's a, the, the strategy and but then it's very easy for the other company to go look they crushed us like why did they do this look at all these people who lost their jobs look at all this like it's normal business behavior to maximize profit doesn't feel great a lot of the times so it's i i just think it's super interesting that spf is kind of using that same tactic where like as you both said it's very obvious something really really wrong happened here so to be like yeah but he kind of made this happen on purpose it's like if you had a solid business it wouldn't have worked so the thing is is like i'm not even i would argue that maybe like maybe there's some hope that this could happen but they never could have known when they made the offer you know what i mean and so right like, as soon as they offered and you had to turn like the, a great example is if FTX thought they weren't illiquid, they probably wouldn't have turned those books over. You know what I mean? Like they would have no. been doing the Binance, what Binance was doing to FTX. It seems kind of like uh, FTX was like, here's our out. And then they saw the numbers and they're like, eh, you're totally insolvent. And then now FTX is saying that that was like trying to crush them and stuff. But like you played the game. You you were interested in the offer. You wanted to show the books. That's not like you weren't obligated to show Binance your financials. <laughs> no. And that's the other thing too, is like you see those books and you have a real decision to make as Binance. Do I buy them out? <laughs> no. Or no, they have no business. All I have to do is wait. <laughs> exactly. Do I it's buy them wait. out or do I blow the whistle for the tons of street consumers who are invested here? And I think yeah. like, you know, everything will look favorably on Binance, even if it was malicious to start. It, it pulled the covers back on something that was like pretty dangerous, you know, like there's a, totally. if this kept going, who knows how big it could have gotten. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, all right, let's switch gears a bit. We'll talk uh, talk some NFTs. We haven't talked NFTs for a bit. Um, so a couple of things that popped up recently. I'm going to start with the one that's like, 
I really want to get your both your t- takes on this. So there's a new uh, meme coin out there, meme token called Bonk on uh, it's on Solana. Um, and so Solana's price has doubled since Bonk was dropped. And Bonk is it's a it's a total meme coin for the blockchain. Like they they dropped like half the supply just to any projects that were already on the blockchain, and then the rest of it they distributed to users, and then just a bit to the developers. So just like handed it out to everybody, and then it's been trading a lot. Um, and its price has been up. So I, I'm less concerned about Bonk specifically, but more like I'm really interested in the fact that like there's all this activity around something that is, for all intents and purposes, not meant to have any sort of use case or anything. It's very open about that fact. Like, hey, this is a meme coin. Do with it what you will, right? And it's going to be speculative on, and all those things, but people buy into it at the same time where we can see in other parts of the, the market um, that there is... And like there's low NFT sales, there's low token transactions, like everything else is down. So the fact that people pour money into projects like this, first of all, just reminds me of the space that we're in. Like, this is not really surprising, but if you step back and look and say, well, why would you put your money here versus here? It is somewhat hard to figure out and wrap wrap your brain around unless you know that like, this is kind of what the space does. So I really want to get like your thoughts both on like, what do you how do you see the space overall and then like meme coins what do you think do you have either of you ever bought them do you hold them um what's your take because the i i find them endlessly fascinating i will shamelessly admit i've bought doge before of course Um, and smart let me (laughs) let me think about how i want to proceed with the rest (laughs) i think it's interesting um what is the value of of currency right like what does currency provide and the it's a medium of exchange right but where what compels you to use a particular medium of of, of exchange it's kind of like just either culture or uh i just just like yeah i mean really it's just culture and memes are straight up culture like it's just pure essence of culture refined down into like this this elixir of memes that's what memes are right um so it kind of makes sense that like if if a currency is popular then it's gonna do well of course right and memes allow things to be translated across culture so i think that's why meme tokens take off but are they sustainable no they are not sustainable. They're not backed by anything. I mean, fiat currency isn't backed by anything, but the governments that represent them. But that's still something, right? If it's just computer code and some random guy made it in his basement, is it worth anything? I don't know. I don't think so. That um, was, that's my take. That was honestly exactly what mine was, is that like, uh, you know, could just be solid marketing. This is a meme coin suddenly instantly adopted. The idea being that people love memes. People love the Doge story. Like Elon, yeah. Elon's a perfect example of like what can happen with a meme coin. And so like, it could just be that like Solana saw an interesting niche into like, let's call this a meme coin distributed to people and see what happens. And it worked out well. Like, I'm not saying that is what happened, but at the end of the day, 
all a currency is, is adoption. Like that's literally what decides if a currency is valid. We could all be trading like fingernails. If everybody was like, hey, fingernails are what's worth money. That's what would work. And so like if enough people are interested in a meme coin, it can become a real currency. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's a better, like there's no answer other than the fact that like people are interested. And to your point, is it backed by anything? No, but I would argue nothing we have is. So it's just as good as the US dollar in my opinion. <laughs> I, I like both of your I like those takes because my mind immediately went to because like we start talking about currencies like it's it's not actually a currency you're not buying anything with it right nobody accepts doge like I can't go get a bagel well, maybe somebody does but very few people so I, I like the idea of of currency as culture meaning like it's a it's a set of expectations or traditions or whatever, right? So the meme as part of the culture, like that's what I said, that's what I meant when I said like, it's not surprising that a meme coin takes off because this fits the the culture of the space so perfectly. And I think that idea of like, it has value because we decide it is, is like as far as you need to go, it is, this is a pet rock, right? It is, who cares if I have pet rocks to sell I'm going to make money, right? And if people like them and they want to trade them with each other, why am I mad about it, right? It's it's not a problem in any way, shape, or form. It's also, as both you said, not really indicative of anything else. This is not like the future of, of finance or anything. It is specifically a self-aware meme that is meant to just raise some capital and it's it's done its job. So um, yeah. oh, I, think the, I think the big problem with meme tokens in general is that in the modern era, memes tend to like pop in, become exceedingly viral, and then they die or yeah. they become obscure. And that's a problem for a currency. You know, currencies need to become very, very popular and they need to remain popular. You can't have something that spikes up and then dips down because it's, then it's, it's just a, a pump currency. and dump. It's a pump yeah. and dump. It's not it, a currency. And it, it is a pump and dump. The, the thing that to me is like, with NFTs, I'm almost like you get an NFT where it's a meme, essentially they pop, right? It's something stupid. People like it for a few days and then it goes up and then people get upset because then they lose money because they're the ones who bought it at the peak and then crashes, right? With this, there is no, there's not even a JPEG there. There's not a thing that you can use that you could say, well, at least I got the, the profile pic that I wanted or like some cool music or something or access to whatever, which people still make fun of. But with this, there is nothing. It is just the speculation that the price will go up and somebody else will buy it from you. And hopefully you're not the last one holding the bag. So to me, it's like, if you want to get in and it, that's why I think it's kind of okay because it says it on its face, right? It is a meme coin. We have no, there's no use. There's no planned use. We're not pretending this is going to be the token that makes some blockchain function or some, some second layer function or some video game, some game function, right? It is just a thing. If you want to speculate and buy, go for it. Um, so I, and I totally agree that it, if people are using this as a currency or an investment, that's a problem. Um, but it's, it just isn't. All right. So you we have only said one thing. You said oh, yeah, one thing yeah. that was interesting to me that I just want to touch on real quick. You're right. It's like, you can call yourself a currency. You can follow the protocols of a currency. You can set it up like a currency, but at the end of the day, if no one's buying anything with it, except more of it, it's not really a currency. It's a collectible. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like we, we get to a world where it's like, okay, so you're just, you're just bought a digital collectible that has like no physical form whatsoever. And it's like, that's kind of what it is, even though it's structured, like probably an ERC 20 or something similar, some currency, it's like, it's really not, you're just like, if you can never take your money out, 
uh, short of selling it to someone else who's just buying that currency. It's really not an asset. It's just a, it's just a, like, it's like buying Chuck E. Cheese coins, right? It's like you bought something, but you can only use it one place and no one does. <laughs> and I, I would say it kind of feels like if you were somebody who got into the Zimbabwean dollar just before it hit hyperinflation, <laughs> right? You get in, you're like, yeah, maybe I'll make some money. It's not a great investment. Nobody thought Zim the Zimbabwean dollar was what we were going to be using to make our purchases, but somebody did. People invest in currencies all around the world. They got in and then suddenly hyperinflation, they go, ah, shit. And then now they have what is essentially truckloads of currency. And some people actually do. You can go get Zimbabwean dollars. And they, I promise you, cost way more than what the face value is, right? You're going to spend a dollar for a $10,000 note, right? Or something. So it's similar where at some point this meme dies, they're not worth anything. And the only value of holding them is to be like, hey, I was one of the people who bought Bonk. <laughs> you can brag about it and show people your wallet. I had Bonk. You're like, hey, I was one of those people who bought the Zimbabwean dollar the day before inflation kicked in. I'm like, cool. <laughs> That's interesting. All right. We have four minutes. And then I got to go get my kids off the bus. Um, I don't think they'll wait for me to finish recording. I haven't asked the bus driver, but we'll, I'll chat with her today. Say, if I'm recording, can you wait? No, I'm just kidding. Um, all right. So we'll go to something just as serious. So there's a, another NFT pumping today. It's called feetpicks.wtf. And this, I just, again, am, so it has accumulated. Wait a second. So wait a second. For those listening. It's exactly what it sounds like. I just want to be really clear about that. Feet Seen it on Twitter. WTF. Pixelated feet pics. Yep. And so there's 10,000 Freedom Mint foot pictures that went out just this past Sunday. So we are here on Thursday. So it's about four days later. And they've done 778 ETH in volume on the secondary market in four days. Um, and so they've, they've done more volume than Bored Ape and a bunch of other people over those that same time period. Thoughts, gentlemen? To be honest, I know nothing about the technical aspect of it. Sounds just like another meme coin. That's what I was, is exactly I was about what to say is. the same thing. I think Ian's first response is the exact same response to this. The like memes are culture and culture is currency. Therefore, there's value. But what happens when it's not a meme anymore? That'll be interesting to see. What does this say about our culture? I also That's don't want to hear what the utility of feetpicks.wtf is either. They they are very clear. Just not just so nobody's scarred from hearing about this or imagining. Don't let your imagination wander. Zero roadmap, zero promises, zero marketing, zero paid influencers, one common love of feet. That's their motto. <laughs> is that what the oh I love that? I'm I'm reading. I mean that's transparency right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they're uh they're they're selling. So if you want to get your feet picks, now's the time. Now's the time. Um Oh, we got two minutes. All right. So this, I thought this was a really interesting thing. So I saw this thing on LinkedIn. Um, and so your potential employee, this is just like, I'm curious what your thought was to this. This is totally unrelated to anything we've talked about. Your potential employer gives you this choice when you pass your interviews. Start with a lowball offer and negotiate. Give Get a final offer package, take it or leave it. Or they give you max money offer and then you can negotiate your salary down in exchange for other benefits. Uh, which way do you guys go on this? It's tough, right? That's that's tough. They're all kind of interesting in their own way. My first reaction, honestly, was C, because I was like, I like to see how much you can pay me, because my, my biggest concern is always like, well, you know, I got to cover my bills. My kids never stop growing. 
uh i want to retire so, so all for me it's always like well what's the size of the pie and then i'm like okay what else do i get so if i started with that and then i could actually negotiate my way back i kind of like that idea especially like health insurance i feel like that would be a really useful thing that you could work with so be like cover my health insurance and reduce my salary by this whatever something like that i actually enjoy negotiating but one thing that i'm realizing is max money is like it's got to be finite truly max money and so yeah. i definitely let's assume that it is yeah, yeah assume assuming that, that like you couldn't negotiate your lowball offer to above cash with perks, then yeah. max money it is because then I'll just decide from there like if I value said perks. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. The question is like, what do you value the perks at? Yeah, and then you got to actually meet in the middle on every perk, right? Like, I want you know cover my health insurance for the year and you know reduce my salary by five grand. They go, well, it costs seven thousand dollars for insurance. It's like that's my offer, right? Like the you can get stuck. Yeah. I think like, assuming you can negotiate all this stuff through, I like the option C. I do think that the question is more like, are you willing to negotiate? Cause B is kind of tempting to me. Like just here's the best we could absolutely do. It's a well-rounded package, take it or leave it. And I actually did have a job um, recently in my career that I got where they made me an offer. And when they made me the offer, they said, we will absolutely not negotiate. You cannot ask for anything else. There is no chance. And then I said, okay, gave me the offer. And I said, okay, I want this much more in salary. <laughs> I want a signing bonus. This. And they, they said, okay, we'll ask. And they asked and it came back as a no, but I was like, I, I'm glad I asked. I don't know if they actually asked, but it was at least pretended to. So <laughs> I, I don't know that you ever would get a final offer, take or leave it. That's true. Yeah. Know. That's the, that's the thing with salaries. Like you're expected to negotiate these days. So yeah. I think even if it's like, take it or leave it, this is what you're getting. That's not actually true for the most part. Yeah. Um, that'd be nice if that's how the world worked. If you could just see on LinkedIn, you know, the number that's next to the position and that's what you're going to get, right? That would be yeah. awesome, you know? But that's not realistic, is it? Because companies are in the business of maximizing profit and paying. Well, that would be that'd be pretty bad business, right? Because like if oh, you yeah. sink a lot of money into somebody and they're like, no, I'm walking away because you won't give me an extra two thousand dollars a year. It's like, well, we're gonna spend ten thousand to go find the next candidate. So like maybe we should just give you two. So like it's interesting. I think it'd be like it'd be great, but just like it just could never work. Yeah. yeah. All right. We'll all dream about our our dream scenarios. Um that we won't need once Artie becomes a multi-billion dollar company. And we can, we'll just keep doing our podcast Disney anyway. 2.0. Or, yeah. once my, or once my bonker feet pick skyrockets and I sell it. <laughs> Lucas owns 5,000 feet picks. We did. 5,000 feet picks and 10,000 bonk. <laughs> That's what I got for Christmas. All right, on that note, I'll talk to you guys next week. That's a good way to wrap it yeah. up. And that's Web3, baby. That's Web3, baby. Love it. See you guys.